Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 12, issue 592, and we've arrived at Metroid Prime 2 Echoes in our series of Metroid podcasts. And joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue, it's Brian Edwards. Hello, hello. Leah Haydu. Hi there. And Rich Davison. Hello. The whole gang is here to talk about Metroid Prime 2 Echoes actually known in Japan as Metroid Prime 2 Dark Echoes. It's the seventh game in Nintendo's Metroid series of sci-fi arcade action adventures and the second in polygonal 3D, played from a first-person perspective. You probably know it's nearly 20 years old. It was developed by Retro Studios after they developed the first one and uh, followed it up within a couple of years, I guess. Nintendo obviously published it again. The game was released first in North America, November 15th, 2004. In Europe, November 26th, 2004. In Australia, December 2nd, 2004. Japan, May 26th, 2005. Hmm. Our first correspondent is Nick Tendo from the forum who says, I got Metroid Prime 2 on launch day in November 2004. I was eagerly awaiting its release since Metroid Prime was one of Nintendo's greatest games ever at the time or since. Nevertheless, I remember being disappointed at the time because it didn't seem to elevate its gameplay above MP1 and the light Dark World shtick was overdone. I remember really enjoying the Screw Attack's return, but that's about it. Fast forward to 2020 when I decided to pick it up and replay it and I honestly forgot how challenging and engrossing it was. I now find it's an excellent follow-up to MP1. The lore is fascinating, the boss battle's epic, and the constant dread of Dark Samus carried the sense of urgency throughout the playthrough. So, uh, who was there first? Anyone there back on launch day back in the day, Brian? Uh, yeah, I I was there on launch day, and I had probably... If you had asked me before this replay, I would have been like, oh yeah, that game that game was fantastic. I, I really enjoyed playing through it. And then and then in, in my most recent replay, I realized that I remembered next to nothing about the game once I got into it. I, I didn't hmm. remember the plot. I didn't remember the the areas that much. And I think a lot of it was because I had married so much of this game with Metroid Prime in my head because they just look and feel so similar. Obviously, they're so yeah. close to each other on the same platform that I found the the memories kind of hard to separate from one another. So uh, I played through it at the time. I remember beating it. I remember the the final boss and kind of the the way the game ends. And uh, so I did have direct memories of that, but I had not gone back to play this game. I had probably replayed the first Metroid Prime half a dozen times or more uh, through the years, but this game I don't mm. think I'd even uh, touched uh, until I had replayed it for this podcast. So over the course of the last month or so, I broke out my Wii U to then play the Wii Anniversary Trilogy, which I've had basically since that came out at launch of uh, the Metroid Prime Trilogy. So I played, using Wii Mote controls, played Metroid Prime 2 through my Wii U via Wii emulation for this recording, if that's not convoluted enough. <laughs> so Yeah, same here. Yeah. Leah, 
early adoption or uh not that early no i was not on the metroid prime show but i mm. had kind of a um a, a cutoff history with it because i tried to play the original metroid prime when it came out and didn't really get all that far because at that time i just my brain just could not seize the controls like i it mm -hmm. just didn't it did not make sense to me um right. I, I came back to it a little bit later and, and played through it and you know really enjoyed it and have played it since then uh but two I, I i didn't get a gamecube right at the gamecube's launch i did have one and i i picked up a a copy of metroid prime 2 at some point but it was not when the game launched um and then Played that through, and I, I'm not sure that I actually played it through all the way since then. Um, I for this recording, I I think I'm I'm kind of glad I did this um, because I think I'm the only one of us that actually played the GameCube version for mm. the podcast. Um, nice. I thought <laughs> so. It's a little complex. I uh, thought that I had a copy of Metroid Prime Two for the GameCube. I did not. So I ordered a copy. It came, uh, you know, very, in very good condition, like excellent condition. Um, nice. and I decided because I was just kind of poking around, um, and found that I could purchase a copy of the strategy guide, the original Nintendo power strategy guide for like six or $7. So nice. I did that. Um, I, I knew mm, that I was a wise investment. Yeah, exactly. Um, some of the pages are falling out a little bit, but it's it's in decent yeah. condition, I would say. Um, for for seven dollars, you know, it's fine. Um, yeah. and, and then I actually, uh, so I was I started playing with my original Wavebird, um, which has has actually held up pretty well, except that it occasionally, and I'm not sure whether this is because of, like, the wireless signal or whether it's because of mm. the actual uh, controller itself, the uh, left trigger was, it like, like, it works, but it's it, it's not consistent. Like, if you hold it down, mm. then sometimes it drops the connection for, like, a frame or two, which is a problem, because that's the button that you hold down both to target things and uh, when you're scanning, so... And sticky ball, right? Or yes. is that the other one? Um, I don't remember. Um Yeah. But, um, so I, uh, actually ended up buying another GameCube controller. Oh, and another wireless GameCube controller. God so, damn. um, I went to some lengths in order to play this on the GameCube. And before I did that, I actually played through the remastered version of the original Metroid Prime again. Uh, well, I, I hadn't played the remastered version before, but I had played through mm. Metroid Prime before, um, yeah. and played that through right before playing Metroid Prime 2, nice. which was kind of a mistake, and I'll get into mm. why as we go through. Okay. Uh, Told you. Yeah, well, yes, yes, you're very smart. Um, but uh, it, it highlighted some of the things that uh, I mm. really hope that they... Um, alter in a potential metroid prime 2 remaster mm, um interesting yes so i i did not that. actually finish my my playthrough my gamecube playthrough um completely but i have finished it previously and um i, I think i've done quite enough to uh, refresh my memory in sure. the in the meantime so that's where i am cool what about you rich 
Yeah, I wasn't there day one. Um, and no, no was there day one for, for Metro Prime, actually. So 2002, I'd have been, what, 16. So I was way too cool to pick up a GameCube. Uh, you know, uh, that was for kids. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but I, I know that it was lauded as one of those kind of must-have titles, so I, I sort of secretly always coveted it. Um, and in 2004, I was I was 18. That's the lost year for me where I discovered uh, alcohol and, mm-hmm. and going out, so I, I played very little of it. And interesting, actually, I played them in reverse order, Metro Prime 2, prior to playing Metro Prime 1. It was specifically in 2008, I remember, because... I had uh, started to rent my own home. I had no money. I had to essentially sell my 360 at the time to to pay for rent. So I just had a back catalogue of GameCube games that I'd inherited from a friend and played Metro Prime 2 um, and really loved it. Like really loved it at the time, had a really positive, strong memory of it and maybe played it two or three times since since that point in the same year and then didn't go back to it, just in the same way Brian did until 2023. Um I still have a copy of the GameCube game, and I maintain that I still have a copy of the GameCube game, despite not being able to find it, because I'm almost certain my father-in-law has stolen it from me. Um, (laughs) He is a huge Metroid um, fan. like He has all of the the other bits and pieces, but he swears that uh, his uh, copy of the game is not the same as uh, mine, and um, I've yet to prove that. We'll we'll see how we get on. Uh, so I did bust DNA. out my Wii U, which has a broken screen, which is absolutely fine because you don't need a screen to play the Wii U version. You can just put it straight on the television and play it with mm-hmm. the, uh, the Wii controllers. But I was really disappointed because I, I generally don't find the kind of motion controls to be especially very intuitive. So um, yeah, I just I just played it uh, on the Wii U and it was fine. Totally fine way to play it. Um, outside of that, I would say that I'm a much sort of more favorable with the, the 2D Metro games, which is why I wasn't on the Metro Prime show more than anything. And they kind of just wash wash over me a little bit. But um, yeah, happy to be here. Um, yeah, I did day one this. I love Metroid Prime. Day one that and uh, beat it. Didn't get 100%, but found most everything I needed to. Loved it. Um so yeah, this was a this was a day one no brainer. But for some reason, I do, I do remember not being as excited for it. And I guess it was partly the, you know, we'd seen it done once. We knew that Retro Studios had done a tremendous job, uh, kind of selling the Metroid experience, putting it into into three uh, D first person. So I guess yeah, I, I'm not quite sure why I wasn't more hyped for a sequel because often, like the sequel is the one where you kind of hope or expect that things will be refined or improved upon. But Metroid Prime kind of kind of came out kicking and screaming. So, um, anyway, yeah, I did buy it and bounced hard off of it, as I think we will hear from a number of people who maybe had similar experiences. I remember really just getting into the dark world for the first time. And having my movement hamstrung by the constant losing of health. And it wasn't like those early segments of the old 2D Metroids where you knew that you had to come back with a with a suit to protect yourself. This was a you are going to get hurt going through here. You have to run from light bubble to light bubble. Um, and I didn't know at this point that later on you get powers which mitigate against it and so on and so forth. And those sections are relatively short a lot of the time. Yeah, it was just like it wasn't what I wanted. I think maybe the I didn't like the the mood as much. It was you know it was gloomier and darker and by by design 
fine. But for whatever reason, it didn't resonate. I ended up selling that copy or trading it in, then rebuying it at some other point. I remember picking it up for new for five quid, probably when the GameCube was on its last legs and uh, had exactly the same experience again. <laughs> Gave it another try. Still didn't like it as much as Metroid Prime 1, but didn't get that far into it. And so, yeah, the next time I bought it was the digital Wii Trilogy version. And that's the version I've played on Wii U with the motion controls for this uh, podcast. And I think, yeah, the motion controls I, I, I am a fan of and I do like because I, I did play. I played and completed Prime 3 before this in the end, many years before, in fact, back in back when that came out. And I, I really liked the interpretation. I'm probably less fond of it now than I was then. And I'm quite happy to play the Metroid Prime remaster without the the motion controls. But uh, I think there are some pros and cons overall. There's there's stuff like I get quite annoyed not being able to just put the controller down without it kind of resulting in my character spinning around the screen. Yes. Stuff like yeah. that. <laughs> um, obviously, you can go to map screen and whatever else. But um, on the plus side, aiming at things is so much easier with the crosshairs uh, yeah. tied to your... <laughs> Yeah, tied to your hands uh, and eyes. So um, there we go. Busker Lily from the forum says, except perhaps the Pokemons, Metroid Prime 2 is my earliest memory of a big Christmas game. I was an avid reader of the Nintendo official magazine at the time, and for months I was presented with the most luscious looking screenshots and the most effusive praise. Their Christmas issue had joke features about making sure you got Metroid Prime 2 or how to trade in whatever guff your parents bought instead. When it arrived, I was beyond excited and I bloody loved it, though I never actually completed it. I was still living in a one TV household, allowed to use my GameCube one hour a day kind of lifestyle. And this game was too big and too difficult for me at the time. Sean S. Thomas from the forum says, upon completing Metroid Prime, when it was re-released as the trilogy on Wii, I instantly needed more and moved straight on to Echoes. Maybe that was a mistake, as this felt like a real slog after Prime. It was bleaker and harder, featuring less colourful environments, more finicky weapons switching and a steep difficulty curve. When I think back on it, I struggle to recall any landmark moments as I do in other Metroid games. There were a couple of impressive boss battles, a cool new visor and Dark Samus's appearance was exciting. But beyond that, I don't have any real lasting affection for this one. That being said, the fact I completed it and would start playing Metroid Prime 3 Corruption within a few days shows that the Prime formula was still alive and well under the prickly facade. The trilogy was re-released on the Wii U eShop in Europe and America, January 2015. Reviews-wise, at the time, the GameCube version did really rather well, maybe a couple of percent lower than the first game, but still in the 90s, 92 on Game Rankings and Metacritic. So this time uh, it's the it's the dark middle sequel kind of a tradition at this point. Um, according to Wikipedia, the staff opted for a more immersive storyline, whatever that means, with more cutscenes and a plot that focused less on the space pirates and Metroids of other Metroid games. The theme of light and dark originated from something that everyone understands, the conflict between good and evil. Senior designer Mike Wyken or Wiccan, apologies, I don't know, said, we wanted a push and pull. The whole game is pushing and pulling you back and forth between the dark and the light. It ended up being that we wanted something that would feed into that dichotomy, the conflict 
between the two and how the player's basic abilities reflect that. The developers sought advice from the producers of The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past, which also used the theme of parallel worlds. Brian, you mentioned, you said that um, you'd sort of conflated Metroid Primes 1 and 2 in your head and you didn't remember much about the story of Metroid Prime 2 going into it. Now you've played it. Do you remember much of the story of Metroid Prime Two? Uh, no, honestly, um, <laughs> I right. the actual the, the story itself uh, really did wash over me in kind of that popcorny way, um, and I I'm not I don't think I'm like prepared to call it bad or 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 throwaway necessarily, but mm. in Metroid games, it's this is not the story is not why I'm there, and I think I talked Shit. about that a little bit You're on the Prime it. one too, like. Um, it's all about the gameplay and exploration for for me personally, and and there was always you know you're talking to these the 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 keepers at the temple the the um Mothman. not the Ing I can't remember his name I can't remember the name of the race of people um uh are they the uh, the 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 Ur- the Luminoth the Luminoth oh, oh yeah. the Luminoth Luminoth right. yeah so he's so they're obviously their worlds being threatened by the Ing and 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 everything else and and they kind of set you off on this path you need to reset these three temples and like and like in my mind i just that gets filed under the what three things do i have to do three temples okay where are they located here they are and i'd like start doing that video game triaging in my head of like you know where (laughs) i'm gonna go thing but the motivations of why and like the story behind it uh didn't really do a lot for me in this game and coming back to it now like i was trying to focus on it but you know knowing this recording was coming up and trying to think about all of it and by about i don't know five six hours in I had forgotten the why of what I was doing, but I was still really enjoying the process of doing it, if that makes sense. Brian, you're saying that it didn't feel like throwaway or anything, and I agree with that, but at, at the same time, like, it feels extremely heavy-handed to me. Like, very much a, a, a in a way that, like, something like Link to the Past doesn't really, mm. a, and I, I'm not, I, I mean, it, it certainly does share a lot of the the setup and um, just kind of the broad strokes, but it it just, I don't know. For me, I think it was just a bit much and and maybe it was a combination of factors because um, as you are going through the story, at least up until you get to the now go find all nine of these keys, like you are in very segmented levels. Like there's not a whole lot of exploration Hmm. in the way that there is in like a Super Metroid or, or even a, a Metroid Prime 1, where you're kind of going all over the place and like hopping back and forth. It's very much a, you go to this area, you do the thing that this area wants you to do. Now you go back and then they tell you to go to a second area and you do everything that the second area wants you to do. And then you go back. A- and it just, it, it I, I don't, I don't necessarily have anything against a slightly more linear or more guided experience. I mean, I used a strategy guide for this, obviously. I kind of want to know mm-hmm. what I'm doing. Right. But yeah. I I think that it just, it didn't flow quite right for me. And that combined with the fact that it is so heavy handed with the, well, now you're in the dark world. So everything's dark and everything hurts and everything's called dark whatever. Yeah. Um, it just, I, I don't know. It combined in a way that I didn't, I didn't really like the setup. Now that said, I did like the overall atmosphere, and um, mm. and I, I kind of, I know a lot of people 
Um, and, and certainly some of our correspondents and even you guys have said, you know, it just it didn't feel it felt like gloomier or it felt um, just not as colorful and not as vibrant. And, and I agree. But I thought that it I, I don't know, I guess maybe I'm kind of a sucker for the, the dark middle chapter types of things. So maybe yeah. maybe that's it. But I did think that the atmosphere was effective, except when it gets a little too dark, which will I mean, we'll talk about that when we talk about visuals, I'm sure. But um, mm. but yeah, I it's. I don't know. It just it felt very, I, very much like they really wanted you to get it. Like, yeah, I get it. It's dark Samus. Like, I'm regular Samus. This is dark Samus because she's dark and evil. The plot of Echoes bears a number of similarities to Jim Henson's 1982 film The Dark Crystal. Both stories involve the disruption of a peaceful world by two warring factions formed by the splitting of a single entity into conflicting groups of good and evil, Ether, the Luminoth, and Dark Ether. The Ing in Echoes and the Uru and the Skeksis in the Dark Crystal. And the efforts of the sole surviving member of a third party, Samus of the Federation in Echoes and Jen of the Gelflings in the Dark Crystal, to restore the peace in accordance to a prophecy. The Luminoth themselves strongly resemble the Urskeks from the film, both in appearance and behaviour. From the Metroid Wiki. Just on, on the um the relationship between that and the Dark Crystal, like I can't believe I'm making a comparison between the storytelling of a Jim Henson film in the 1980s and Metro Prime 2 here we are <laughs> like what 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 that movie and and the excellent Netflix series for that matter does mm. is um demonstrates the symbiosis between the um light side and the dark side in a way that I don't think Metro Prime 2 yeah. does in any way there's like a very incidental relationship between the light side and the dark side there. I mean, it seems to be more manifest in the gameplay rather than the plot and the story, but do I really want a complex story about the nature of existence and coexisting in a kind of Malthusian stroke, like James Lovelock Gaia theory in a Metroid game? Probably not. Uh, we saw what happened with um, Metroid uh, Other M when they started to do something a little bit more sophisticated with the, the gameplay. <laughs> but I would have liked to see maybe, I think there's more, maybe this is the best way to explain it. I think there's better opportunity and better execution to show those two concepts colliding in a way that they don't quite achieve in, in Metro Prime 2. Yeah, Echoes was the first uh, game in the series to have, um, dialogue from human characters, as we said, with uh, Campbell's line of, hey, somebody, they're moving in faster, need backup, during Exeter's final report. And that opened the floodgates, for good or ill, potentially. Uh, but yes, they've definitely dialed back on that stuff in uh, in the more recent games, recent releases anyway. So the graphics are obviously uh, based still on the same engine and uh, they are, you know, 20 plus year old tech on the, uh, the, the humble GameCube, although it was a mighty machine for the time. Um, one of the things uh, I found interesting going back was looking at this interview in IGN from the time of release. Um, seems like a, almost quite a, a rude way of phrasing the question. They, they asked uh, Brian Walker, the producer, the graphics in Echoes, although beautiful, don't appear dramatically improved over the first game. What's the story? <laughs> Which is like, what have you been doing for the last two years? Uh, I was about to say, um, well, what... I mean, it, it is like the, the 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 answer to that question is we probably had four months to create this yeah. body. Like, why is your neck in? In the, the response, uh, and I'm sure it was delivered in a, you know, a, a warm and charming way. Uh, the response seems slightly, uh, and again, I'm sure it was delivered 
in in a in a warm and friendly way, but sounds slightly bristly to me. Brian Walker says, our engineers, our designers, our artists are in no way satisfied with the normal approach. They really reused nothing from Prime and made everything from scratch. New sound models, new weapon effects and new gun models. Everything is new. I don't believe you, sir. <laughs> I was going to say, this sounds awfully defensive and I'm not sure yeah. if that's just the way you're yeah, reading that, Leon. Or... Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Samus's right arm looked pretty similar to, I was thinking uh, that. to the right arm yeah. I looked at for yeah. the entirety of Metroid Prime. And I, I don't think, think that's fine. a bad thing. I no, mean, Metroid exactly. Prime is a really yeah. good-looking game. So, uh, I yeah. mean, I, having played the remastered version immediately before playing 2, like, it's not, a, even with the remaster, it's not a huge downgrade from that. Like, it's still a very good-looking game. Uh, yeah, still runs at 60 almost all the time and uh, smoothly. And the Wii version especially, like, uh, it removed a lot of the loading times between doors, which is on a technical level and a, and a gameplay level is much appreciated. Yeah. I think it's just a cock-handed question, really. You know, um, what, you know, if you, if you were to really interrogate, like the more important question here is whether it's a, a, like an attractive game when compared yeah, to yeah, the yeah. previous game. And the answer to that is a kind of, I would f- confidently say, no, it's, it's among okay. the most brown games I think I've, I've ever brown, played. Brown, eh? I would, I would say purple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Much yeah. more purple. I don't know. I mean, like, <laughs> like the, the the temples. And so the the kind of like overarching themes of the first temple is it's like a brown sandy color, and then sure. the uh, maybe I'm yeah. just speaking specifically about the light world. Mm. But well, um, they, I mean, they they obviously needed to do something a bit different rather than go through the same biomes as they did in the game, the previous game two years ago. And this was obviously coming up with the light and the dark world. They're on a different planet. You've got technological areas as well as organic ones. I think they had to try to do something that wasn't just a retread and and yeah I think it's a obviously it's a subjective matter whether it works for the individual or not I certainly find it a bit oppressive but I think that is by design um there is some I quite like some of the cool abstract sort of art flourishes in there the sort of weird little designs in the environment and the odd cubes it does feel it does maintain that sort of trademark metroid alien feel small a um but yes it i think the the combination of those gameplay facets that we're going to talk more about in the dark world and the aesthetic being that much more gritty gloomy and moody means that perhaps it just doesn't feel as nice but as i say i think that's probably intentional i love the aesthetic of the dark world in this game um i it is very dark, right? I mean, like, there's no getting around it. Like, it's it's dim. It's hard to see sometimes. But there is something about the way those, b- before you get the suit that doesn't really, it kind of makes the darkness of it all a bit moot. But um, shooting those crystals and having those little beacons of light, those little safe spaces that you get to go kind of hop back and forth and making the damage that you take from the darkness not that oppressive, not like game ending type of damage. It's it made for this mysterious kind of world that I could go into and it would push me to explore outside of those little bubbles, like see how far I could get. You know, I bet I can get over there and get back. I bet I can get Mm. down that hallway or or wherever. Um, And the way that it conveyed the visual language, of how it conveyed that with a kind of like those um, 
you know, whether it's not the, those kind of purpley acid pits that are bubbling it from below or or the crystals that have been covered in darkness that you then have to kind of cleanse in order to do that. There's there was something I really enjoyed about being in that world, even though it was an oppressive environment. I really like the way it looked. And specifically when it comes to Rich said is one of the more brown games you ever played. And I think the first <laughs> two biomes very much are that the swamp and then right. and the temple grounds. But yeah, that third yeah. biome, which is that the Sky Temple, I think, or not Sky Temple, that's the final, um, uh, but it basically filled that mechanical kind of temple you go to across that long mm. bridge, like those silvers and those big open rooms and kind of like really, really stressing the verticality of the area. They're always moving up and down. And, and, and I, I found some of those areas to be really refreshing and, and kind of like uh, areas that we hadn't really seen visited in a Metroid game before, um, at least not to my knowledge or, or anything that quite looked like that. And I, I found the last act of that game to be more visually interesting than, than anything that had come before. So I, I think it has some visual flourish. There are some things that are, are attractive. It's just a lot of it is going to be things that you had already seen in Metroid prime or very similarly. And, but the parts that stick out to me were uh, the, the dark world. And then the, the, the last year, I can't remember the name mm. of it to save my life. Right. Yeah. Leah, you did mention earlier that there could actually be a practical consideration as regards to some of the areas in the in the dark world as well in terms of actual visibility yeah i i'm not sure if this is something that i could have fixed myself by just changing you know some settings on my tv mm, or something yeah. I, I don't know uh but i never had any real issues seeing things in the light world with the possible exception of some visibility things in uh, when you're underwater, which is at least in large Murky. part by design. Um, yeah. Design, design. I don't, I don't know what was going on there. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, in the in the dark world, I did find it occasionally kind of difficult to navigate because in some sections where there aren't any of the um, like the light domes or the the beacons yeah. or those mm. kinds of things uh it, i found that it could be kind of tough especially in kind of the more enclosed areas like tunnels or um you know just kind of places that are a little bit windier um to to really know where you're going and the map is bad um i i don't think that the map in this game is very good um so i i, I didn't find that to be a ton of help Although I did use it a lot, I, I oh, yeah. it's so small, kind of in the the upper corner of your screen that I I found that in order for it to be of any use to me, I kind of had to keep opening it up and like rotating it. And once you get into the areas that are more than one level, it, rotating it is kind of weird because it just yeah. doesn't quite work the way you think it's going it's to work. Lose which way is up? Yeah, and all kinds of stuff. But yeah, it's um I I've always had a even going back to playing the original whether it was less functional or not. Um I've always had a love-hate relationship with it because and this will automatically segue into navigation throughout the game which is a huge part of the Metroid Prime experience. Um I sort of I I like it in some ways because it feels it's it, it it's it's properly interactive to a, in a sense whereas a lot of game maps really aren't. Um, I like the fact that you can manipulate it and move it around, but also that does sort of excuse it from having to always do its job properly. I suppose the biggest sticking point with this game for me playing it now in 2023 is the sort of conversation we have many, many times, but it 
it's not only the lack of signposting and, and my kind of want for a bit more direction and steering at times. There is this hint system which kicks in after um, a certain amount of time, but it seems quite sporadic and unreliable. And I think if it thinks you're heading on the right path, it just doesn't kick in. So even if you're vaguely in the right area, but playing it now, this is like a yeah, 20 plus hour game. I spend a lot of my time pretty, pretty bemused as to where I was supposed to be going especially with the light world and dark world, like um, sort of the idea of hopping between the two and checking um, kind of what you haven't seen in, in one or the other feels dangerous, obviously to go into the dark world. Um, and there's just, you know, the, the, it's quite possible to go a very long way and you might see something hours and hours earlier that by the time you have the tools to get through it, you've just, you've forgotten you ever saw it or you forgot you were even curious about it. And the um, earlier and you are in the game, I, I, it kind of feels like the more you are almost discouraged from doing that kind of exploration, especially in the dark world, mm. because uh, Brian mentioned that, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't do too much damage to you if you're in the dark. And that's true, but really only after you get the dark suit and yes. you do get the dark suit pretty early, but before that like it's it hurts to be in the, yeah, and you don't brutal. have that many energy tanks mm. at that point so you are or at least i was kind of skittering between beacons just trying to you know figure out uh, where i was without having to um, yeah. having to get too injured and i mean that's that's the point right like they want you to feel a little bit disempowered at that point until yeah. you improve your your gear enough that that's not yeah. the case you um, work really hard to feel powerful in the metroid game yes yeah that's that's the point i'm probably gonna be the map defender here i felt like i was gonna that's be cool. that way coming into the, the the podcast but i i it's not that i disagree with anybody's complaints about the map but i found the the way that it accurately physically represents the 3d space that you're in and also when it comes to like elevation right so um i loved when i was in a room especially early on before you have the boost jump and a couple other year uh and grapple um where you could see you could you could scroll that map down and get like a real like horizontal look at the room that you're in and realize that yeah, yeah. there's a there's a blue door there but it's clearly at an elevation that i can't access yet so i'm going to file mm -hmm. that into a something i'm going to have to mm -hmm. handle in the future type of situation i also yeah. i i appreciated the coding the color coding of the doors based on the power-ups that you have because that gave yep. me an instant indicator of hey i just got a new power-up where should i go back to and explore um yeah so that i found those to be very helpful i still think that navigating verticality within that map there's that one area um the underground uh the underwater area the hydro yep. chamber i mm -hmm. think it's called has mm -hmm. that save point right at the top and you got to go down and it's got like branching paths off and you, you try to like look for that on the map you had to take an elevator to get down to it so you have to like you know vertically scroll the map and get lucky in the areas and it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination but when i needed an idea of where i should go next that map normally came through for me so i i did en enjoy that i at least well maybe enjoys the wrong term but i did appreciate certain design aspects of that map but i, I thought mm, that yeah. that that it worked pretty well for me i the only time that i was absolutely frustrated with the map was in that that final scavenger hunt section where you would mm. have to wait and to get a hint and then it wouldn't actually tell you where to go so at that point i was just like it's 2023. Yeah. I'm just going to follow this handy internet guide for where the next one yep. is. Like I was fine with that. Yeah. Um, 
but mostly I thought the map served well, and I think they learned some lessons from the first one, and I think that even though we all spend, and myself included uh, in the past, have spent a lot of time kind of admonishing this map for what it does or doesn't do right, like this was one of the first real cracks at the 3D space mapping for the player, Mm. and I don't, and I'm not trying to give it a pass because it was one of the progenitors for the things that came afterwards, but we still have games coming out in 2023 that the map is god awful. And so it's just, it's one of those, <laughs> it's one of those problems yeah. that I, I don't know if you'll ever be able to solve. Um, but it, it, I, I would say this, like, I generally have a good sense of like geography in games. I very seldom look at the map, but the, the amount of times I that really I looked don't. at the map, <laughs> studied the map. And then still went down the wrong corridor because I it couldn't fixate like in, yeah. I couldn't map mentally in my mind which direction. Okay. Yeah, not just me then. I'm I'm, I'm not well, sure. Well, I feel slightly better then. <laughs> yeah, you guys experienced that. Yeah, we're likely trying to move off here, but I think herein lies a, a critical point for me. I think the map is fine. I think it's serviceable. I think it. I, I found it possible to kind of. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I did find. Well, uh, let me just explain. I did find it to be useful. I go in, I went into the map more often than I would like to, and we'll talk about it when we get a gameplay. Yeah. But it's the fact that it's not just one yes. map. It's yeah. the same map between two worlds that don't connect in the same way between the two games. So there's a, a real... Mm, yep. in, in, t- in trying to memorize the game through utilizing the map, I found it quite difficult. I was watching something today, I think it might have been a Game Maker's Toolkit video, um, that... Mm. Uh, they were talking about how, yes, this is a system that has been implemented previously. It, like I said, it, it was in Metroid Prime 1. In fact, there were more keys that you had to get in Metroid Prime 1. I think there's 12 as opposed to the 9 in this one. Yeah. Um, but the the big difference that they were talking about was that in Metroid Prime 1, it is possible to collect some of these keys early, just kind of through natural exploration. Right. Whereas in Metroid Prime 2... You, mm. by necessity, kind of have to have all or most of the upgrades in order to obtain most of these keys. So, like, you really can't, like, there are maybe two or three that you can run across just kind of early or just while you're exploring. But after that, it's like you you just have to be specifically looking for yeah. them in order to get to them. Like, you're not going to find them if you're just kind of wandering around. And, and Secrets Breaking is like a map. massive deal so- in this type of game as well. So interesting. Yeah. It was one of those things that I, I found one of them naturally before then forgetting that there was even the scavenger hunt at the end. And the way I found it was because I was try it was but I was at the last area of the game. I basically had every upgrade save for maybe the spider ball. Uh, I can't remember, but or or, mm. or one one short. And so mm. I, I happened to cross one and just because I had the dark visor on, I saw this thing floating in the distance. We're like, oh, I wonder what that is. I wonder if I can get over there. And I got this key and I'm like, oh, I wonder if there's some like weird extra suit you can unlock <laughs> by finding all these secret key and then i got to yeah. the end i'm like oh did right, you have this. that yes good um, job i don't have to find all these <laughs> like moment Money. before then having to yeah. go and find them all <laughs> exactly yeah, right these, yeah. these yeah, optional collectible trinkets yeah. um yeah so it was one of those things that, that uh, it, it is as you said leah i think it's like only one or two of them you could actually do without the full suite of you know, echo visor with all the, you know, tools at your disposal. Yeah. Um, Thank goodness though. Um, you do get the annihilation beam before you have to do it because the thing that I was finding a real slog about this game, as well as getting lost was the ridiculous sponginess of some of the, especially the space pirates. There was no need for them to take like so, three yeah. super missiles, you know? Yeah. 
so yeah. I know we've not we've not quite gotten onto gameplay yet, but there are. In- oh no, we are very much in okay. Gameplay. Good. <laughs> because fine. I just want to make sure we're that- just doing it organically. Yeah, no, I just want to make sure because I there are full on sections of this game that I realized very quickly that the first time I went in this room, I bought three space pirates, and then the the lock went off the door, and I got, was yeah. able to go through it. And the next time I went through that room, the, all three space pirates were there, but that door didn't have mm-hmm. a lock on it anymore. So I'm just like, mm. see ya. <laughs> you know, I, just, oh, okay. I, I ran by so many enemies in this game yes. just with a sense of like, once I open this door, you don't matter anymore. And yeah, and because, like you said, Leon, if you combine that sponginess with the with some of the motion controls and some of the beam switching you'd have to do, there's a particularly mm-hmm. um, bad offender of this in the dark world. It's the it's like the floating orbs of darkness that will kind of shimmer red at you and they'll, they'll have like brief moments of vulnerability. I forget what the name of the actual enemy is called. And, and they'd come Mm, in and out of you and you could, they'd almost like take on like a static television effect at some points where you just couldn't hit them. And you, you could legitimately dedicate five to 10 minutes of your life fighting two of these in a room, realizing very quickly that like, if I just, if I just go over there, like I don't even need to think about you guys. Only need to do it. If you actually, if they're going to knock you off the platform yeah. or something like that. And there are some enemies which are deliberately designed sure. to be in the room to to basically hamper your progress. Um, but the rest of the time, unless you... Yeah, a lot of the... Whereas I think it's more traditional in, in Metroid games for enemies to be um, profit in terms of health and ammo. A lot of them in this seem to be uh, deficit. Um, and the fact that you have two extra forms of ammo, whereas uh, you know traditionally... Only uh, missiles really were uh, limited or you were limited to a number of bombs you could drop before you could start dropping them again. But in this game, they added dark and light ammo, um, which is uh, you and you then need to use the opposite one to regenerate ammo of the other type and all this kind of stuff. So it starts to get a little bit more micromanagey. Um, and so while I think uh the the sort of the general control and locomotion whether you're playing standard pad or 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 Wii controls still stands up really well and i think this is why the the remaster of of prime one that came out after we recorded our prime show reviewed so spectacularly well for a 20 year old game is because they i mean they basically left it alone just made it look nicer and um and the fact that it it reviewed pretty much as well as it did 20 years ago is testament to how kind of solid and sound the locomotion in this game still still feels but i think in in this game the combination of the 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 dark world stuff with the the energy sapping some of the enemies being total bullet and ammo sponges and the sort of confusion around um where you need to be going next it all adds up to make it quite a hostile experience compared to its predecessor. It's it's one of those things that my favorite part of Metroid games, which is not something that a lot of people feel about Metroid game, is that free exploration. You know, the looking for yeah. the nook and cranny, looking for where the missile upgrade mm-hmm. might be hidden, and or, or whatever. Yes. You know, looking for the alternate path, and maybe yeah, the buzz. You come into some of these rooms, and and you might have there might be things in there for you to find, but you're going to have to engage with this combat first, and I don't think the combat, and I would say this probably about the original Metroid Prime, although I didn't yeah. probably didn't say it on in the in the previous podcast. Uh, I think we did. Uh, it's it, it's not it's not terrible. I don't hate it, but 
it's also not the reason I'm there. And no. it's and it was never the reason I'm there. And 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 I think that there are some really cool tools in this game, like that one that allows you to lock five missiles on targets at once and like blow like there's some really cool implementations of combat, some cool ideas that they've that they've come up with, but when I'm just running room to room, like I, I'm doing that to bomb sections of the wall, to shoot missiles at an area that looks particularly suspicious, to scan, to see if there's any areas that a super bomb will be able to explode. And I'm not doing that to just re-engage with the same combat encounters. And and that's the yeah. other thing, too, is that not only is the combat is it spongy and everything else, these rooms have programmed combat encounters that every time you enter them, it's the exact same enemies appearing in the exact same place. So it doesn't even feel creative. Like like the combat doesn't feel like a problem to solve. It feels like an obstacle to be hurt. There's, there's one in the Torvus bog, which is an especially egregious example of that. It's just, um, in a, in a central area, you've got to fight two enemies that like warp. Yeah. And and it feels like a concession yeah. that the developers knew because at a certain point they will just disappear and the doors will open for you. That's right. I know exactly yeah. which one yeah. you're talking about. And yeah. it's like they, they knew that this was either too much and the quickest, easiest fix would be okay, just get rid of them to do that. Um couple things just on the, the beams in particular. Number one, my um sense of genuine disappointment that I was certain that the Annihilator beam was going to be the plasma beam from Metroid Prime 1, and it absolutely wasn't, and ah. it's nowhere near as effective no. and powerful as that one is. So, uh, yeah, no. that, that was mildly disappointing. wasn't quite as empowering. Yeah, it's it's slightly over-advertised with its name, but it is still a massive upgrade on the, uh, on the pea shooter yeah, that you've I been using. Yeah, I feel like it basically is just previous 15 hours. both types of energy, which is a quality yeah. of life thing that's yeah. absolutely fine, but it's not yeah. quite the kind of... Um, you know, in Metro games where you get the screw attack and, and that's it, the gloves are off, you are fully empowered. Like, this mm. game obviously has screw attack, um, but it, you don't really get to use it in the same way. But um, before we kind of move on to, to stuff like that, I think one of the things that, that I want to note just about generally, it's about your kind of uh, upgrade trajectory in Metroid Prime 2 is, is quite different to regular Metroid games, which is you get the light beam and, okay. the, and the dark beam fairly early on in the game and the, the Morph Ball, so you have the traditional um, upgrades that you would normally get somewhere in, in the early to mid-game in Metroid Prime, significantly earlier than you would get right. uh, in, in this. Yeah. And then every yeah. upgrade that you have thereafter is largely iterative, or it's a it's something that allows you to... To say that it allows you to access more areas is, is that besides the point. It, it's more that it's just about... It, it funnels you in <laughs> yeah. a much more... Um, prescribed way so when brian talks about like metroid being mm. all about the exploration the free exploration i felt the yeah. push against that sentiment in this game more than i would in metro prime one or corruption right because it it's mostly just about like putting greater emphasis on your interaction with the dark world and the the threat that's there that's not a problem necessarily but it does feel to me at least noticeably different to Usually a generic um, trajectory that you get in Metro games. We've got uh, we've got some good correspondence actually as regards to the gameplay. So perhaps we'll uh, we'll dive into some of it and um, it'll give us some more points to jump off of. Uh, Ian Ian Ianson from our forum says, "I devoured this game on release, having loved the first Prime so much, and having loads of free time on my hands, I was able to dive in fully, not rush a single moment, and in doing so, had a brilliant time." with none of the friction that I hear many people talk about when discussing this sequel. I've never revisited it fully since that first time, 
I think I'm a bit scared that I'll engage with it too glancingly, feel frustrations I didn't have before and sour my excellent memories. Or maybe the few hour-long sessions over the years, having not translated into any full playthroughs, suggests it's a lesser game in the series. I'm not quite sure. Interesting point, Ian. Um, I think, yeah, and, and this is often a, an issue that comes up with us covering games for the podcast, and obviously we all have our busy lives and other games we want to play as well, so we do end up playing these games against a time limit, and yeah, I think maybe this is a game where that isn't it isn't the best way to play it because it it it, it has a, a certain amount of stress and anxiety built in by design and then if you add in external factors as well of not having enough free time or not enough time on the screen or whatever um that could actually sour you on the experience that yeah maybe that's why we always say context is so important i suppose Magical Isopod from the forum says, I really love the first Metroid Prime, but I could never really get on with this one. I found the dual ammo system and health draining death fog to be elements that added tedium and discouraged exploration. This is one of those games I've rebought a few times thinking I should give this one another shot. I love Metroid Prime and every time I come away feeling frustrated. Oh, well. Matt L from the forum says, in general, the light dark world mechanic felt like either A, a way to artificially lengthen the game or B, a way to quickly churn out a sequel. It seems it just seems Retro Studios either wanted to try something new with the franchise or were told they needed to try and attract the Halo audience and neither worked. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. Um, Is that the purple? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, just, I, I mean, I don't I don't think that... I think that the what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh the implementation of the light and dark world mechanic was not really what I had a problem with, like the the connection or the interplay between them. That wasn't mm. the part that felt like it was just kind of tacking on to me. If anything, that would be the the scavenger hunt towards the end. Um, yeah. which I guess is in part the, you know, the interplay between the light and the dark world. So you know, if you want to look at it that way, but uh, I, that part, like I said, just that, I don't think that that for me at least was the, I, I don't even want to say the bad part, the part that I had trouble with it. It was more just what, what happened in specifically the dark world, you know, just the way that the dark world is slash was and and not so much as you know the the fact that it is there i don't know if that makes any sense but i, I what i what i'm trying to say is it didn't feel like they were just trying to make things longer for me i think that they they did have good intentions with that that are kind of varying in how well they they came off depending I, on the person. i really yeah i I, I agree, Leah. I, I actually liked the light dark world switching uh, quite a bit. There's something, I don't know, it, it's the same stuff we have talked about Link to the Past already, where you would see something in the light world, and it'd be like a, it would be like a gate or a door you can't do anything with, but you see a portal behind it. It's like, oh, I have to come, I have to go to the dark world, find a way to get back to this area. Like, There's something about that breadcrumbing that really works for me. Uh, there's one spot in the Torvis Bog I'm thinking of specifically. It's a, like one of those morph ball sections where it switches to kind of like a side-scroller view. But in mm. that shot, you can see a portal right there, and there's a missile upgrade. You're yeah. like, I know I can get to that, and it get it, those breadcrumbs for the light and dark world really worked for me because it was it would encourage mm. me to like, well, where's the closest portal to here? Maybe I'll hop in there. Maybe there's a way I can get across here. 
So I was always kind of switching back and forth to do that based on how it was signposted in the game itself. The thing that made traveling between the light and the dark world so frustrating, and maybe I would have been more forgiving of it at the time, I don't remember, is just how long the loading screens are to switch between world to world. Mm. Every mm. single time it's that same animation of approaching the portal and walking. Like, it just, it it's one of those things that, like, it's a concept that's so cool, and I think could be implemented way better if you had those ratchet and clank rift apart like uh loading times oh, yeah. you know that if you could hit or even it, how they did it in legacy of kane soul well, right exactly where they if, where they did an yeah. amazing real-time transition yeah. if you if you could make that transition swift and snappy i think it becomes so much more engaging because it does really mm. feel like you're moving from level to level as opposing to just like like swapping dimensions on the fly you know yeah. it's not to sort of denigrate the correspondence because i actually think it's really good and and like really I don't really feel like I can answer the question whether it worked or it didn't because that's purely subjective. But I think what he's touching upon is um, the the interesting aspect of that conversation to me is to, about, you know, whether it artificially lengthened the game, whether they actually churned out a sequel. So two years of development between Metroid and Metroid, uh, Metroid Prime 1 and 2 suggests that they were under a significant amount of pressure to churn out a sequel, and the significant differences yep. between this game and the other game, which suggests that that was quite a condensed two years. I think this is something, and, and not to go on a sort of diatribe about broader games development, but something that we're still contending with here. It's about, like, you know, to what extent are the ideas that you're introducing in Metroid Prime 2 complementary with what was originally conceived and executed upon in Metroid Prime? So as we kind of move towards like boss battles and stuff like that, some of those things are great ideas. And I mean specifically ideas. They look great on paper, but when executed alongside the actual trajectory of the gameplay and the length of time that this game requires you to be playing that, they're incredibly frustrating. So in isolation, the way that the kind of mechanics and the enhancements to the games have been put about are really impressive. It might well just be that in terms of game testing and game feel, that user experience, it's quite a weak one because it's so um, frictional. Like fr- fr- I don't know if frictional in this context is, is the right word, but it creates a sense of frictional frustration. I feel like there were a few, even the reviews at the time mentioned a few rough edges, which uh, particularly on the, the the initial releases on the GameCube, uh, with some camera issues and some frustrations and things like that, quite a few of which were addressed with the Wii version. So the version that some of us have played on the on the Wii or Wii U, uh, some of the some of the worst kind of problems were smoothed over and fixed. And obviously, there's another chance if they are remastering it for for contemporary Nintendo machines. Um, but I think, yeah, stuff like um, yeah, some of those frustrating bosses. I'd be lying if I said I I didn't get frustrated with some of the some of the bosses, including I think you're alluding to the the high concept uh, kind of puzzle based uh, morph ball bomb bosses. Um, but I think again, with I, I actually really appreciated the concepts, and I and I think it would have only taken a little bit of refinement to make those much more satisfying than frustrating. But it is a fact that. A lot of correspondence that I've seen around this game, both to us and not, is uh, it does tend to mention some of the bosses with 
gritted teeth I and, agree. and swearing and I think, faces you know, and things I like that. I admire that, that yep. I admire that it, this is a <laughs> really weird admission. I sort of admire that these bosses can exist within the confines of this game. I'm just not entirely sure that it was the most fun thing to be doing in our 28 of a game, <laughs> you know, <laughs> of, of this particular yeah. game. Yeah. I actually quite enjoyed the Dark Samus fights, weirdly. I don't think I, I, I came to them yeah. expecting, Even the expecting final one. that they were going to be horrific. Um, um, I would like the final one more if I had recognized the MacGuffin to end it earlier. Um, I, yeah. I failed that fight once not knowing what I was doing wrong and then looked it up and like, oh, yeah, those blue li- Oh, God. You know, like, um, and then was able to figure it out. But I, I too, like Leanne, I enjoyed the Dark Samus. Yeah. They felt like, um, uh, I don't want to say, how do you want to put it? It's not like an even match, but just fighting no, some fighting a humanoid like a, like a duel. En- enemy yeah, in It was like a world. death match kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, duel. Unique, because yeah, yeah, yeah. you're normally fighting um, other species or whatever, yeah. The Spider Guardian was one of those where I thought this is a really neat idea, but um, there were just a couple of elements to it that I found quite infuriating. The fact that they put a couple of the bomb slots on slopes so that you could just easily roll down the other side. Once I realised that you could continue to leave the the Spider Guardian itself in the green phase by re-bombing it while it was in green, it became a hundred times easier. That's a... um, That's a boss fight that has inspired several a slack message exchange between the three of us can uh, confirm um yeah that right. that fight uh that was that was almost the one i feel like every game has moments right even the best games have moments that make it really just yeah. test your resilience or 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 mm. maybe that maybe that's being too poetic about it but really just just really make you mad um in ways that you can't even describe and that was the one for the me in this game i and it did it, mm. it yeah, it did infuriate me, but I did it second it, go it, it, in the it end. It took and... me 50 minutes, 50 minutes to do that, and it breaks the kind of, um, the the things yeah. that we solved. In, so we talked in the Super Metroid show about how bosses in the Super Metroid game gave you things like uh, scrub enemies that you can bomb to get additional missiles or health. That mm-hmm. particular yes. uh, boss, if you like, doesn't. So you get one go at it mm. and... Yeah. be damned and also you get yeah. no no support no help no ting- um tingle no um navi no. coming in and telling you to listen i would hope not <laughs> imagine if tingle also, no tingle. Oh, that, that would enough. make this game a 10 out of 10 for sure but, yeah, yeah um, cro- uh, i cross universe i i will say uh as as rich was describing there too it's not not just the length of it but uh, you can get to that last section and it does that thing that was like a cardinal sin or whatever you want to call it like like it makes mm. you really feel like you're doing nothing wrong and you're still not succeeding, yeah, yeah. and that's yeah. just it's so so difficult to swallow. That was the one, the only time in this game that like I ended my play session on that particular evening and said I'm not doing this mm. right now, and then gave mm. it a full yeah. almost you know twenty hours. Came back the next night and like let's do it, and I did it the first try of course because that's how it goes. Yeah, classic. Yeah, but yeah, as I say, just just a pro tip to anyone listening who hasn't played this yet or got this far. The thing I didn't clock, maybe everyone else did notice this, but it made it so much easier was when I realized you could, you don't have to just get the Spider Guardian to go the deadly path in the time limit that you're given. You can extend the time limit as long as you want by If, if you get the correct him. path, it also expedites the path of the boss as well, which was the problem yeah. that I had because it led me to yeah. believe that 
really it is a race to get the thing done you know so it's it's your sensibility and the kind of mm. on-screen training colliding in a way that mm. isn't necessarily aligning with my own kind of uh instincts it's very fiddly though having to uh, i will c- completely admit like having to just n- nudge up those little uh yeah bomb jump your way up those little gaps and then not roll down the slope the other side of the slot and all that yeah not yeah. The, memorable the though. first time i did that half pipe <laughs> section i'm like this is cool and the third time i did the half yeah. pipe section i'm like i want this to just go away forever i never yeah, need yeah, this yeah, again. Yeah. It, it's interesting that we're <laughs> bemoaning tough. this particular boss because from what i've read a lot of the frustration seems mm. to come with the actual um you know the boost guardian and boost actually guardian. i kind of like that boss yep. it was pretty mm. good i had fun. a lot of trouble with the boost guardian i had to fight that thing like half a dozen times um and i i i wasn't like i i was frustrated obviously but um i i didn't mind it as much because there is a save point right before it uh so that unlike some that i was um i i mean it it didn't feel as punishing in that way um and then there was the uh underwater boss like right after you get the gravity suit that i fought and lost about 45 minutes to because um <laughs> you don't get a save point right before nope. um and yeah i um i was not happy it's, about that it's not good enough no. in this day and age uh what i will say is leah mitigating that you were playing classic gamecube controls um which uh, does mean that actually locking on and aiming to things is like objectively more challenging yeah so. just to to uh i i promise i won't go on about this for too long but uh, i do want to just i i've mentioned that i think that the controls are a little bit rough and uh just i i just want to kind of drill down on that because i think mm. that we as game players perhaps have gotten used to a little bit better than this uh, there are a lot of different things that you need to be able to do as Samus, and I just think that maybe if there was a little bit more uh, customizability, maybe to where things are. For example, um, mm. to fire a super missile, you have to be on the 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 just regular beam shot. Char- charge up your missile um mm. you know by hitting the um the x button i think it's the x it's the one that's just above the 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 big button yeah. the big a button the kidney um yeah, yeah. and then you kind of have to it, there are several moves where you kind of have to like roll your thumb over <laughs> over two different buttons in order to execute a move properly yeah. and it just it, it's it's not I found myself after, and this is where I think maybe I had the most um, disadvantage from just having played Metroid Prime Remastered, where they did fix, I'm air quoting fixed, because I guess it depends on how you feel about the controls in the in the first mm. place. For me, yeah. they felt fixed. Um, yeah. In in and I was using you know basically the same controller um, because mm. you know they, I was using the um, the pro controller for the Switch and then just a, a basically a knockoff GameCube controller for yeah, the GameCube. 
And yeah, there, there was just enough of a difference that I really felt like, it, it, and it wasn't even like, oh, I just have to get used to these controls because they're different. I felt like they were different and worse. Like they, they were more awkward right. to me. Um, now, I know yeah. that you guys played with the Wii controls, and yeah, I would not have wanted now. to do that, I don't think so. Um, I think it's actually easier in some ways. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I'm not sure just the, the aiming, but is probably better. Because um, you just tab on the D-pad, yeah. so you're you're holding charge for the shot, but then you just, you've got a free thumb to, to tab on, on a direction. That never felt natural for, to me. Like, ergonomically like, to, weird. Modify. In order to look up you have to hold in the right trigger and then use yeah. your stick so you can't be looking up and moving at the same time unless yeah. you're locked on to something, in which case you can kind of strafe, but then if you lose your lock, you're just screwed. And So that's where yeah. the Wii versions come right. into their own because you've got free aim on, on your right hand yeah. as if as if wielding a mouse yeah. basically. And then I in think... the remastered version, you know, you have the you are able to actually look with the uh, yeah. with what would have been the C stick and you know with the GameCube version if you try to do the, the Which uh, is delightful. the um yeah. the be your beam is tied to your C stick. So I had many many times I wasn't thinking about it and tried to like swing my camera around to target something or to look at something and just ended up switching my weapon instead. So, if, I, if I had a nickel yeah. for every time my beam got tied to my C-stick. I um, know, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I think that's probably... So the Wii controls are interesting for uh, in a number of ways, but uh, Leon already mentioned it. But that's probably the thing that you end up taking for granted and almost forgetting mm -hmm. about while playing through the game is just your ability to look anywhere at any time. Like, it just it literally yeah. just a flick of the Wii Wiimote and you're looking up. Now, granted, it can be cumbersome. Some of the, some of the fighting, like, I mean, I was having... Literal right hand cramps with some of these bar boss mm. fights with the Wii mode. It's not yeah. ergonomically the best, but and if you aim too yeah, high or too right. wide, the the it just stops working. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but just the ability to be like, what's above me, and then just look up without having to do that input yeah. is that it, it becomes such a natural feeling that you forget that you weren't able to do it before. So is yeah, it basically just be, the Metroid is, Prime Three yeah. controls? Yeah. Basically, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, like, I, I have played Metroid Prime 3, and I do remember, like, having to recenter yep. the remote a lot, so I can see where mm -hmm. that would have been definitely frustrating. That's I, that's I would the take the GameCube. Yeah, I mean, I, sure. I don't know if this is a controversial thing. I prefer the GameCube uh, controller to it. Uh, I think, I think, I, I think, I think a it's a trade off. This, the amount of um, times that I will, like, slightly off center uh, um, a shot yeah. just because I'm holding a, a, a Wiimote and I'm having to do it in a, like a particularly difficult way. And I found it really difficult with the Ing boss at the very end where you have those um, slight breaks in the shield and you've got to try and focus a, a shot through there while dodging, while running around. It's quite a kind of tactile experience. So if you're quite a, like, I, I gesticulate a lot when I'm playing, so it's very difficult for me to... Um, mm -hmm. Well, at in the general, but um, yeah, I think really the biggest um challenge that I had with the Wii controller is that I don't think I really truly naturalized the controls, so I would constantly go into the yeah. visor screen as opposed to the um. I mean, you and you and many other <laughs> hardcore gamers like this is a conversation that goes back 
to 2006, we still have still had many conversations on the but it's a 30 hour game and at no point in that 30 hours did I really truly get a grip on it or I'd be pressing the map button because I and and then nowhere near one another because they're totally Mm. different you know that's uh, that's really the last thing that I wanted to say about about the controls is just that what really bothered me is that in or the, the thing that bothered me the most I guess was that just you know, typically, if you go into a game that has controls that you're not used to, or that maybe you find a little bit awkward, eventually, you know, you kind of get used to it, it becomes a little bit second nature. And that just never happened to me with this game. Sure. So it always ended up like, okay, I'm, I need to switch into this weapon. And now I need to go into the ball form and do this. And yeah, Mm. it, it, it never really I, I always had to think about it, which is not really what you want if you're trying to nope. uh, do some sophisticated platforming and not screw it up. At pace. Can I, yeah. can I just shout out uh, a couple bosses I thought were were pretty great? Um, if you're going to say Quadraxis. I am going to say Quadraxis. <laughs> yeah. I really like that fight. I think that the boost, yeah. the spider ball boost onto its back what mm. was a little finicky. Like that part was yeah. not great, but man, I that would that entire fight, and it was a fight that I it took twenty five minutes or so. Mm. I got it on the first try, but it was like skin of my teeth type moments, yeah. and like that that boss encounter I thought was was really great. It, it reminded me of mm. like it was it was like a spectacle, you know. It, it was biggest you know, prime boss ever. Yeah, it, it um, feels like a Zelda sensibility, doesn't it? You know, like the yeah, application yeah. of right, all yes. of that or that new skill that you've got. Yeah. yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, I, I had to do it twice because the first time I got... Um, so this is one of the boss fights where you are pretty much losing health constantly. It takes place in the dark world, mm-hmm. right? Um, so you have to do various things to, to kind of keep yourself topped up as best you can. But then for the final of three phases, um, there's not really any health drops anymore, I don't think. So uh, I didn't realize that you had to stun it before you jumped on it kind of right. thing the head floating yeah. around the legs so basically i kept trying to jump on it while it was still aggro and it just doesn't you you can't stick to it um so i died first time second time though did it but still enjoyed it which was a good sign the whole thing the whole the whole sequence but yeah quadrax's shout out that's the third last boss and i, um, I also i really others? liked the emperor ing boss um i know right. some people i've read I've, I've read that, that some people really don't like that boss for certain reasons. I thought it was a really nice um, display of all the powers and all the things that you've gotten to that point. I agree. Um, and I think mm. there there is some finicky moments that like trying to line up shots based on, you know, so it, it, its mouth will glow with uh, certain colors. And then so you have to either use light or dark ammo or the annihilator beam works for both, which is nice. Um, but uh but so some of the the windows for shooting that can get a little tough and tight um uh to, to hit those but i think that just in general that the the pace of that fight and where that fight goes and to the point where where it kind of burrows itself in the center of the, the screen and you have to spider ball kind of around its core to like bomb those areas like that was one of those That's moments great. where like yeah. they, the room's filling up with toxin and i honest i have no idea what to do it's just like well let me just hop on this thing and try some stuff out and it felt creative and cool and different and i i really enjoyed those two fights and and i wanted to point those out because a lot of the other boss fights in the game are are ones that i do not have very fond memories of so i want to make sure i was at least being balanced um and and in the spirit of 
patting them on the back for a good boss. I like the Amorbus boss or Amorbus, which is the giant kind of uh, Dune-esque worm oh, yeah, that yeah. sucks you in and you have to bomb. Um, in the same way that Metroid Prime 1 is made way easier on the Wii U by virtue of the fact that you can... Oh, the Ridley battle in particular. I remember really struggling mm. with Ridley battle on the game. Yeah, yeah, but this gotcha. one, this boss is is significantly easier as well because you can shoot in advance of where the enemy's going to be as opposed to only being able to Z-target like them directly. So um, I just really like that boss. I thought it was a nice reminder. Oh, yeah, we're in a Metro game. Like You need to think laterally with the use of your sure. powers rather yeah, yeah. than just spamming yeah. uh, pea shooter shots. Yeah. Wu Qing Long from our forum says, Having heard tales of the dark world and the constant life drain mechanic, I was prepared for the worst. I was very surprised when I found the Dark World segments to be some of the easiest, as there was always a relatively obvious path to follow, littered with objects to destroy for health pickups. Revisiting the same areas in the Dark World did end up feeling a bit repetitive, especially in the latter part of the game. It didn't help that it wasn't particularly novel, as many other games had done a similar concept before and after this title. The excellently named Sun Chocolate, I think a new contributor from the forum, says Echoes is my favourite of the Prime games. And if I had to point to individual aspects to say why, a lot of it is stuff other players dislike. The toxic air, the tough enemies, the muted colour palette. Because all those little annoyances lay the groundwork for the game's atmosphere. It's hostile, isolating, and it pulls off those classic Metroid feelings better than most Metroid games. Yes, the dark world is uninviting. There's a lot of signs telling you to get out. Personally, I don't like being in there too long. And that's the point. We've got uh, an excellent post from Andrew Elmore here. I think there's a bit of a knee-jerk reaction some people have in regard to games that place explicit limits on your interaction with them through a danger-inducing mechanic. For Far Cry 2, it's Malaria a mechanic that serves to remind the player on occasion that they can't even rely on their own two feet. For Breath of the Wild, it's weapon degradation, a system that encourages improvisation and experimentation. For Majora's Mask, it's a looping time limit that serves as an ever-present reminder of the fact that existence itself is at stake. For Metroid Prime 2, it's the Dark World, a mirror of the game's normal map, where even the air itself is corrosive and violent towards Samus. In all of these games, the player is introduced to the mechanic in a very direct manner that communicates the imperative danger that said mechanic represents. After you've spent some time navigating it, running from safety bubble to safety bubble, you're likely to understand, at least on an unconscious level, that the game is not going to ask you to do anything without giving you the tools to do it. The early Dark World areas are aesthetically simple, but they're masterfully designed and laid out to ensure that even... In an extra hazardous environment, Samus always has the resources available to stay alive and to fight back against her various aggressors. As you progress and gain new items and abilities, Samus will also acquire new suits of armour that dramatically mitigate the corrosive effects of navigation in the Dark World until she's finally immune to its dangerous nature altogether. Retro Studios does an excellent job, in my opinion, of laying out that progression. They let you experience the new system in a controlled environment where the danger is clearly communicated, but safeguards are available. Then they slowly ramp up both the danger itself by giving you more to do in the dark world with exploration and boss fights and the like, while also increasing your armor's resistance to darkness and damage in general, and increasing the density of safe zones. One particularly interesting side effect of that is that it begins by drastically limiting Samus's mobility in a space, 
which is a very alien sensation in a Metroid game, especially within areas that already strongly resemble areas that you already recognise with internalised familiarity from your time exploring them in the light world. This allows the level designers to begin playing with your familiarity and expectations as you progress throughout the game, and gives them the opportunity to vary up the puzzle design quite a bit more given the different rules of reality at play between the two mirrored worlds. In practice, it's a bit bumpy at times, but I think what they are able to do is absurdly fascinating as a work to be deconstructed and studied in great detail. So that's a really good post, and I think that it's making me think a little bit about the fact that maybe the fact that I'm not as crazy about Metroid Prime 2 as I felt mm. about 1 is an extension of the fact that I do not like boss fight mechanics or like enemy encounter mechanics that you can't win. So like right. Mr. X yeah. in Resident Evil 2, um, yeah. anything where something is chasing you and you can maybe knock it down, but you can't actually get rid of it. I hate those. Mm. And I think that the, maybe mm. this is something like that. Like the, in Stressful. the environment is something. And I, I mean, I've, I've publicly talked about how I don't especially like Majora's Mask, despite really being into its uh, aesthetic. Um, mm, mm. for the same reason, like you can't stressful. Yes. Again, I, don't, yeah. I don't like this. I take medication yeah, to yeah, not yeah. be stressed out. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's, I, I don't know. Maybe, yeah. maybe that's it. I just, I'm too no, stressed. I know what you mean. I, I bounce off similar, similar titles as well. Like, yeah, I, I absolutely adore Majora's Mask, but did I find it stressful, especially mm. the original version? God, I, I, yeah. I feel the exact same way about the original Dead Rising game. For very mm -hmm. similar reasons, just yes. the, the tick tick oh, tick God, of the yeah, clock. Yeah. Like that, yeah, yeah, that yeah. game on paper is for me, like uh, on paper. But then it's yeah. just that that persistent yeah. nag. Like it's it's tough. Yeah, yeah. I think Andrew's really interesting um, correspondence there kind of highlights the the or, or rather kind of sits nicely against Matt correspondence a bit earlier. And I, uh, you know, mm. it, on reflection, and I think it's galvanized my thoughts on this. It's like. Metroid Prime 2 is actually, in my opinion, a really fascinating and brilliant execution of uh, the capacity for the game to reach 100% of what it could do. But I'd be, I'd, I'd need some time to ruminate on whether or not that makes it a good game. A good showcase of the mechanics does not make it a good game necessarily. And hopefully by the time we get through the next 20 or so minutes, I'll have I pulled my thoughts together and come up with a conclusion. <laughs> yeah, I'm having similar feelings. Uh, Sun Chocolate again from our forum says, Echoes has really good pacing. Compared to Prime 1, it's a massive improvement. I don't think anyone enjoys that moment where you travel all the way to the bottom of the sunken ship only for the game to say you need a power-up on the other side of the world before you can progress some more. The fact that stuff like that happens uh, regularly in Prime 1 always dragged down the game for me. But Echoes does away with it by keeping you and your next objective in the same area. It's really that simple. You get to enjoy the fun parts of Metroid Prime more often and longer. So there's a lot less planet-sized marathons and a lot more quality time with Metroid. Well, until the end. But I, uh... I, yeah. I agree with parts of that. I do think it is um, mildly torturous that they do have a fast travel system in here that you can only unlock at the very end of the game and it can only take it to yeah. very specific points. Like, like this very much feels like, and I know this, is, oh, this has evolved over yeah. time with game design, but like, like if you could just 
travel between save points, which we've already talked about them being sparse. This yep. becomes such a different experience, I think, and, yep. and, and more positive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and couple that with the you need to go hunting for invisible enemies using a visor that you very seldom use up until that point, <laughs> right, and yep. genuinely have normalized not using. Uh, that's a I don't want to say mean, but an an mm. interesting choice, I would say. Mm. Mm. Wuqing Long says, in spite of the much better pacing of Echoes over Prime 1, I still really felt it dragging on in the middle of the game and eventually, to curb frustration, waiting for the hint system to kick in at points, ended up looking up hints on the next main objective, which Leah's solution of a please give me hint now, which plenty of modern... Um, games feature especially adventure point and click puzzle games things like I mean, that you've already got the hints programmed um, in i just want to be able to trigger them yeah. earlier rather than having to wait yeah. around and when you when you're looking yeah, yeah. too right yeah uh, according to wikipedia whereas metroid prime was intended to familiarize players with the control scheme retro made echoes more challenging they targeted a more hardcore audience making the player always worried about their health and added more unique boss fights Two bosses were made more difficult in the final days of development following a request by produce, producer Kensuke Tanabe to, quote, make it tighter. Wiken regretted this decision and when adapting the game for compilation, Metroid Prime Trilogy took the opportunity to make those battles oh, easier. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I wonder which so, one. A rebalancing. Yeah. yeah that's what I want to know too. Yeah. Probably I, the fish boss that jumps out of the I think water. Boost Guardian, maybe. Oh, um, yeah. Especially based on how Leah was talking about it compared to us. Um, that would make a lot of oh, sense, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, maybe. I don't mm. know. You you actually misquoted here because it's the player always worried about his health because girls don't play video games. So I might <laughs> um, I might just be bad at this. I was being woke on the fly, I'll have you know. Uh, yeah. Self-editing. <laughs> uh, no, that's uh, that the Wikipedia quote, I'd just like to say. Not mine. Um <laughs> So Joba Bonobo from the forum says, a strange thing for me with this game is that I managed to complete it before the original Metroid Prime. I think I got stuck at the part where you hunt for the Chozo artifact and just dropped it for a while. Conversely with this, I stuck it out all the way through. I did go back to the original Prime a good couple of months afterwards, but I was very pleased when I eventually beat it. I remember enjoying it well enough, but constantly having to shift out to different dimensions could be a bit tiresome especially as you would get damaged if you hung out in the dark dimension too long. But this game also contains several elements of what makes Metroid great. The exploration is generally satisfying. The atmosphere is oppressive with beautiful environments. Also worthy of praise were the bosses. I've not played this in well over a decade and a half, and I still remember how much of an intense spectacle going up against Quadraxis was. While I think the first Prime is a far more well-balanced on the, on the whole and, of course, was revolutionary in introducing Samus to 3D, Echoes is something I would recommend to the more hardened veterans of the series. It assumes you are now familiar with how Samus works in three dimensions and ratchets up the difficulty in response to that. Echoes can be frustrating at times, but on the whole, a more than competent entry in the series. Uh, I don't think we specifically addressed how we felt the implementation. They they ran out of time for wall jump and spinny space jump in Prime 1. They put them in here. Um, I've found um, it uh, results are mixed. Um, both 
jumping repeatedly through the air took me a while to get the the hang of the timing um and the wall jumping just seems to be a bit yeah like uh hit and miss yeah it feels a little bit uh iffy not iffy what's the word i'm looking for here a little bit um um, temperamental yes temperamental i think is is yeah. uh exactly what i want there mm. um just not it's maybe not as reliable as you would want it to be i will say yeah mm. but my i mean i like it i like that it's there i like what it can do and what it can bring to the game i mean it's very unusual when you play in the game for the first time and i'm going back what 15 years to try and put myself into that position but i was like how on earth am i going to make my way over there we get so used to basically being cannoned uh, in Morph Ball for a long time, and then it mm. doesn't exist. And I'm like, oh, of course, Space Jump. But mm. it is frustrating. You get five bounces before you plummet. There's no other way around it. Um, and also the timing can be a little bit punitive. Yeah, It's sure. difficult to gauge like how to best kind of use the bouncing to get the most distance. So I would often find that I would... Yeah. woefully miss it and like Homer Simpson over Springfield Gorge um, like <laughs> a lot of the gaps and then another time I might do it in like four jumps and I'm like ah okay yeah, yeah. need to work through yeah, this yeah and if you if you're just slightly too high or too low you just kind of yeah slap into the surface and plummet yeah, the, um, um, which can be amusing once or twice but maybe not six or seven I was just times. thinking about that because when you get it in the Sanctuary Fortress that's the name of the zone um where, where you get yeah. it, uh, there's that room that has that long chasm that you clearly have to cross with using your new power. And I screwed it up a few times. And then the one time I, like, th- the third time I tried it, I'm nailing the pacing, right? Every time it's boom, boom, boom. And I went too high. I hit the wall above it and then just plummeted down <laughs> my death. I was like, ah, oh, well, you know what I mean? I guess, I, is it possible to be too good at this game? I guess I am, you know? <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was pretty funny. <laughs> Uh, we've come this far without really talking about the sound. Um, I mentioned the audio for the scanning, which is pretty much the same as the first game, and I still think sounds great. A lot of the jingles and things have uh, made a return, as you kind of hope, I would suggest. Um, I love I love some of the sound uh, effects and um, environmental work in in this game, um, even though perhaps it's you know it's less uh, dense and sophisticated than a than a more recent game would be, and obviously lest we forget these games came on tiny little discs with a limited amount of data as well in their original GameCube releases. Um, but also we've got uh, Yamamoto returning with the music. Um, themes used for areas on Dark Ether are dark variations of the themes used in the light areas. Some remixes of music from the previous Metroid games also used, with the escape theme being a remix of Metroid's escape theme, the Hunter's multiplayer theme taking on Super Metroid's upper Brinstar theme, and the theme for the underwater Torvus region is the lower Brinstar theme from the same game, according to... Ah, uh, that's not quite... It's the Meridia theme from yeah. um, Super Metroid. And when I listen to it, I'm like, oh, there it is. The turgid, dulcet tones of Meridia, one of the worst songs in the game. But um, it's nice that it's nice that it's got that. It kind of angers it against the, the Metroid... Uh, the Metroid... Met, Metroidverse, I guess. Sure. Yeah. I quite I quite like that piece actually, and um and it does yeah it's it's that one of those things where you think is it right that they're using it for a com- when it was a piece that was designed for a location is it it's slightly odd that it's then being used for a completely different location, but I suppose if you take it as more of a a theme that evokes a certain feeling then then it kind of works. Uh, any 
any fans here of Yamamoto's work or or the sound team? Yeah, work? I um I I think that it it mixes with the with what I like about the visuals specifically of the Dark World in a way that that lends itself well to the atmosphere uh of the game which I, I you know i've said a lot of things about how rough i i think some of the uh gameplay elements are but i do think that the atmosphere is a really strong point and the music is a huge part of that so i i i mostly wouldn't be able to pick out specific themes um for the for the most part um aside from like the really obvious ones but I I think mm. that overall just it, it was it was one that I didn't just turn the music down and listen to a podcast or something so that's that's a good yeah. thing. With these games for me it's always the sound effects and the yeah. design of the enemies and stuff that that make the experience cuz there's just so much ambient noise happening and whether it's just from the, the 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 wildlife or the enemies you're fighting or just kind of the the weird electrical machinations of the environment you're in. Um, I think it does a really good job of, of, you know, building that world and making you feel, you know, believe where you are. Um, as far as the music goes, like, I, I don't know what it is. It, it's something about my ears. I, I don't quite get it. Like, I don't, I can't remember a single musical tune from this game that had ever happened. <laughs> like, like it's one of those things when I listen to it back, it's like, it's like like prog rock or something like man, I can appreciate this for being very technical, but it's nothing I'm just going to put on and listen to. I don't know. It's just it doesn't mean I think it's bad. It's just I don't think it's it. It doesn't hit in the same way for me that like a theme like like the themes from the original Metroid or Super Metroid hit in the, in in similar ways. I'm, mm, I'm not sure yeah. why that is. It just it doesn't resonate. Well, I feel me. the same as as compared to Prime One, because I think there are some themes in that like Fendrana Drifts, the legendary and the title screen music which have just been in my head pretty much ever since i first heard them whereas there's there's not so much in this that that is quite so memorable for me but andrew elmore again says i think kenji yamamoto's work on the soundtrack for prime 2 is some of the best and most interesting of his career i've been studying his music work on the prime trilogy very intently as of late recreating specific sounds where i can using the same old rack mounted synthesizers and pcm instruments it's been incredibly fulfilling to try and reverse engineer his work. I, I'd be inclined I, to believe Andrew too. He's a Brian. We are too dumb individual. for this. What's that? <laughs> I said, Brian. We are too dumb for this. Yes, we're all yeah. too dumb. <laughs> yeah, Andrew's. I was just going to say, Andrew. Uh, we've interacted a bit on social media. I've seen some of the things that he's done. He's an incredibly talented individual. So I, I am very much inclined to believe his perspective on this. You know. Yeah. My, I wasn't on the Metro Prime show, and I think this is probably something I get a lot of heat for. I don't particularly care for the kind of music on Metro Prime. I don't know. Maybe I'm the odd one out that I don't enjoy the dulcet tones of a theremin every five minutes. Um, but like, yeah, it's not a theremin. I, I mean, a theremin like <laughs> then, you know, evocative. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I go along with you. Yeah, you know, I, I, no, I mean, I, it's almost like music's a completely subjective. Indeed, like who'd have thought? <laughs> <laughs> You're just wrong, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there's definitely some uh, some I like more than others, some area themes, and there's one that which was driving me insane, which I was I was trying to uh recreate in, in text form earlier, um, but I could only yeah. come up with widdly widdly beat. I've um, um I've been looking for a point to interject with this one thing. For me, the sound of the missile in this game is so puny. And in fact actually the missiles themselves are 
it's so ineffective in Metro Prime Well, I think 2. that leads into the whole slightly spongy, woolly feel of the combat, which I'm sure we did talk about in the Prime show. But it's also, you know, this is back to an earlier topic, really. This is both visual and gameplay. But apart from, like, if you actually do a stage of damage to an enemy where they take a hit or they get stunned or they or something flies off them that's great there's a there's normally a good cacophony of metallic clattering or scree- screaming but up until that point they're just kind of there's that sort of you know that faint red glow there's nothing they don't react in any way this was 6 years after goldeneye were you know had people leaping around clutching their asses when they got shot <laughs> and in this game things are just kind of just staunchly standing there occasionally glowing slightly as you shoot them and it, even even at the time i remember this being one of the the most disappointing aspects so and i think i think you're right rich i think the audio is also kind of undersells the power of of samus's arsenal to some Indeed. extent it is an area that i think is yeah could could have been stronger but i love the like the the sounds of the I don't don't even really, really know what you call it, but it, it's not just the environmental stuff; it's the sound of all the technology and all that kind of stuff. Um, the, like the, the the sound that when you climb into an ammo refill or or or, or uh, absorb the map or anything like that, all those jingles yeah, and stuff. Great. I love. The thing that I will say to to just build on what Rich said too is that you know in Super Metroid, the the super bomb that you would lay, or even in Fusion, would shake the entire screen, reveal all the secrets, mm. and like have this earth-shattering moment. And you, you when you lay a super bomb in this game, it's kind of like a you know, like a wet fart kind of thing. You yeah. know, it's kind of go and, yeah. and, and like when you, it breaks the the things it's supposed to break. It's still just as effective. It's just like. You don't. Yeah. You don't feel it. Doesn't have that like punch. Yeah, and it's it's accompanied by the missile. In this game, you fire a missile. It's like a fifty-fifty chance of it's going to go anywhere near the enemy at the point that it actually would would hit it. It's so slow and so weak. I just it got to a point where I just was like, yeah, yeah I'll charge beam everything. I'm I'm done. Yeah. This is pointless. Um, and there's a lot of uh, you know, shooting at things with the wrong type of ammo and it just harmlessly bouncing off them, which is also quite tedious, I find. Sorry, Leah. Do you think that maybe part of it is that we remotes don't have rumble? Uh, I I had full-on rumble with the Wiimote. Oh, okay, I didn't think they would. <laughs> um, no, they do. They really do rumble quite a lot. In, in fact, they also... Um, rumble even when heavy enemies are stomping around and stuff like that. So actually there was one point I was, I was in a room um, where I hadn't dealt with some of those big suits of armor sentinels that come alive later in the game. Um, And I was trying to do a morph ball thing. uh, Whereas I should have taken out the, the enemies first. I ended up just going into this morph ball maze, trying to get a missile upgrade or whatever. And the because these enemies are stomping about my Wii remote is just like a and it was absolutely infuriating for some reason i had it in my Uh, mind that it didn't in the in these games just because it i I would have thought it would have uh affected the or could have affected the um the motion aiming but um uh i suppose i'm incorrect ignore me please It probably does it probably does make it uh jiggle ever so Mm -hmm. slightly but yeah not not to uh not to a deleterious point um i remember this being an option on the game screen uh that i probably never booted up (laughs) this game came with multiplayer um i think it's fair to say this did not 
uh, quite have the same impact as, say, the GoldenEye 007 N64 late edition multiplayer. Uh, Nintendo Life, not often I quote an actual game review. This was from their 2011 review of this game. Uh, there's not really much that needs to be said about the multiplayer other than it's bad and you might as well forget it exists. <laughs> Nothing about the Metroid experience lends itself towards a compelling competitive multiplayer experience, and this is proof. Do you think this was part of some wider like company thing, or at least at the time? I'm trying to place myself mm, back in that moment box where it's just like, you have to have multiplayer in every game. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what you do. I, make I think a multiplayer it, it was definitely a thing in this era, wasn't it? To to I think this was probably the start of this. We certainly saw it in like the 360 PS3 era. Every game, like every epic first person game, even though it, they were obviously clearly chiefly designed as solo experiences, had to have right. some tacked on multiplayer because it's a feature on the back of the box. And of course, it is genuinely a seller because, you know, less savvy purchasers. I expect Leah had this working in GameStop, um, you know, non-gaming elders or whatever, just going, oh, multiplayer, they can play that together. I'll get that one. That kind of apocryphal, but probably true story. Purely speculation, Brian, but I think you're probably right on the money there. I mean, two things. Number one, they had a two-year window to develop this to the fact that they had had a multiplayer on that is maligned speaks to maybe a kind of slightly uh, poor prioritization of, of features in the game. But if you look at its contemporaries in the second point, Pikmin 2, 2004, that came out with a multiplayer mode, so it's yeah, not beyond the realms yeah. of belief. And, and we talked about how Nintendo had a hand in the kind of look and feel of the late game and the exploration, so I would suggest that it's probably right on the money. Even Wind Waker had Tetris trackers. Mm. Who could forget? <laughs> Me. Yeah, I, apparently, I, yeah. absolutely, <laughs> I absolutely knew that before this moment. <laughs> did we talk about it on the show? I, I, I did actually know. play I it. Don't. Uh, on a on a friend, I didn't. It had a GBA. You had to have a GBA plug-in thing and one of the purple cables and all that. Yeah. And it was a yeah, it was a kind of asymmetrical multiplayer thing. It was it was all right. It was quite interesting. Mm, but um, interesting. anyway, yeah. But pro- proving proving everyone's point here. Um, Magical Isopod though has uh, something nice to say. I do remember my brother and his friends playing the heck out of the multiplayer. I never partook myself, but I distinctly remember that they'd have a ball of a time playing it. Pun intended. So if you get your so friends nice. into something that's multiplayer, then you can make pretty much anything fun, is what I will say yeah. about that. My friends and I spent hundreds of hours playing the Duke Nukem 64 multiplayer. That was <laughs> aggressively terrible, but we were laughing at each other. Like It didn't matter. You know what I mean? You, you get a good group of people together, like-minded, you could play yeah. whatever you want and have a Anybody good else ever heard of uh, Tao Feng, Fist of the Lotus? Because we oh. played so much of that. Like I, I can't even explain why. Uh. I tried to get my friends to play Turok 2's multiplayer because of the cerebral yes. bore, but uh, they, they just wanted to play Goldeneye. So. <sighs> but speaking of multiplayer, and I just wanted to cover this one off very quickly because we're not going to give it its own Metroid podcast series podcast because, for obvious reasons, Metroid Prime Hunters came out in 2006, was an early DS game, possibly a launch DS game. Launch. And it was... It was designed to be controlled with that funny little doobry that you got in the box with your DS. Do you remember? It was a little, like yeah. a little like a, loop. Like a thimble kind yeah. of thing. A thimble thing, yeah, that you, you tied to the DS and you put your thumb in it. And then you were supposed to scratch the hell out of your brand new DS's screen with your thumb. 
and um and and this game actually reviewed okay uh you could play it online wi-fi stuff like that uh reviewed yeah 80 85 percent on metacritic so i don't mean to be too dismissive of it for people who people who enjoyed it but um yeah it's uh it was heavily multiplayer focused and um i don't think realistically four of us aren't going <laughs> to sit down and play this at this i've point. never so, played yeah, it but i think it Ooh, sorry i've never played it but i think there was a demo that was released there was. as part of like yeah yeah you're right there was that came with a lot of uh ds's um yeah was yeah, wasn't there a more recent uh multiplayer metroid game for the federation, federation yeah, Force. Veteran, thank yeah. you yeah, I, mix I haven't those played two that either, yeah. but I just yeah. <laughs> just made that connection. In my and Darren brain. has played that, so I'll get him to if we if we get that far in the Metroid series of podcasts, um, I'll get him to chip in on whatever the closest game to that show is with a little Federation Force. But again, can't see us committing to uh, <laughs> you know fifty hours worth of Federation Force sessions. However, the jury is still out on whether we'll cover Metroid Prime Pinball for the DS, which uh, which was rather good. A game I've never played, but I always wanted to. Yes. <laughs> Say, Probably I haven't, expensive. but I will. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's if it's expensive to buy. I fear it might be. I got my copy in either... Now, I'm forgetting. It was either a US import or I bought it in Japan. Um, one of the two. But yes, it was actually... I think it was Japan, yeah. I don't know what happened to that copy, but yes. Metroid Prime Pinball. Different times. Uh, Retro Studios discussed having Super Metroid as an unlockable hidden extra within Metroid Prime 2, uh, much like Metroid was in Prime, but it didn't happen due to the time constraints. Ah, times were so different back then, you know, the philanthropy of Nintendo. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, fortunately, there's been just one or two ways to play Super Metroid (laughs) since that that, uh, release would have come out. But it was in Fusion, I believe. So, you know, you could get it in the different thing. In the, I, I could be making that up. Right. I don't know. Pass. Uh, Zero Mission? That's the I'm one. Not sure, no. yeah. Or that might have been the original Metroid. Never mind. Please, listeners, go back to our previous shows where we may have facts for you. Yeah, scour, the, <laughs> scour the records. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or just look it up. Andrew Elmore again says, I don't know that I particularly like Metroid Prime 2 Echoes very much, but I do know that I love it. It's a bit of a complicated relationship because there are aspects of the entire Prime trilogy that I often find a bit exhausting in addition to everything that endears me to them. But Prime 2 is special. One of the most important key elements of Metroid to me is the idea of being trapped in a space that is passively hostile to your presence in it. And I think Echoes does the best job of selling that idea from an immersive first-person perspective. Every trilogy needs a weird middle entry that most people bounce off of due to the odd angles and edges of it, leading sickos like me who love those odd angles and edges to adopt it into our home of media misfits where it will be appreciated for the charm in its flaws and endeared for its idiosyncrasies. Perfectly put. And Cormoran Strike from our Patreon to finish us off. Metroid Prime 2 Echoes is my favourite Metroid game, possibly my favourite first-person game ever. Maybe because it was my first time with an FPS and a Metroid game. I first played it in 2005, aged barely 12, after it ended up in Nintendo Official Magazine's recommended GameCube games section. It was so different to anything I'd played up to that point, which was mostly Pokemon and platformers. This incredible world was mine to explore, even if I got lost quite often. 
Samus was my guide to discovering an expanding gaming world. I love the dark light world element. I love the different beams. I love the bosses, dark Samus, the incredible music. I love everything about it. It's a game I think that's aged incredibly well also, as recent playthroughs on Wii U have taught us. Let's hope Nintendo makes this more accessible for the Switch sooner rather than later. Thank you, Cormoran. I expect a shadow drop of the remaster in the days and weeks following this recording. <laughs> Absolutely. Because that's what happened last yeah, time. Exactly. A week from <laughs> now, we'll be all playing it on our Switch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ah, all over again. We also got a few three word reviews. Follow us on social media, if you will, at Kane and Rinse. Robin Hoodie says, In Prime's Shadow. James Batchelor says, Lacks Connected World. Josh One on One says, Freaking Boost Guardian. I, I always get this one in my Geordie accent, which is a different one. Jobo Bonobo says, Not for Beginners. Bearfish Pie says, Samus's Goth Phase. But Phase is spelled P H A Z E because Phazon. Uh, Leah, Leah, are you paying attention? So Phazon is part of. <laughs> and. A Jacko 58 says a fantastic sequel. I want a Jacko 58 to be a, to have been born in 1958. Maybe. All right, uh, let's wrap up. I think this is our final Metroid show of the volume. And uh, obviously there's still a few more games to cover. All being well, hopefully we'll get to do that. But for now, can we wrap up our feelings on this one, Leah? Yeah, um, so I think it's probably right to have me first. Uh, I did not dislike my time with Metroid Prime 2, but as I kind of alluded to in the beginning of the podcast, I really think I did myself a disservice by playing the Metroid Prime 1 remaster immediately before it, because... I found that to be a much more enjoyable experience. I will not say that it is a better game, because that's subjective, but I will say that I enjoyed it considerably more, and I would recommend it at this point um, as as a better starting point, if nothing else. I, I think that if you're going to play Metroid Prime 2, I would recommend a couple of things. First of all, if you, if you can hold off a little bit, I would... 100% not be surprised if the remaster um I don't believe they've actually officially confirmed it but I have heard enough stuff on no. various podcasts about yeah. it that I'm willing to guess that there's a very strong chance that a remaster maybe not as kind of thorough a remaster as the Metroid Prime 1 was um yeah, but Potentially, I, d I don't know. I would I would say that there's a very good chance, and if you are willing to kind of wait around for a little bit and see if that's announced slash dropped, then yeah, go go for it. Um, I I think I think I might go back to it. I did not finish my most recent playthrough, and I I don't think I'm going to partially because I have yakuza to play and i really am more excited about that than anything um but <laughs> also because i just i wasn't enjoying it enough to really want to stick it out i think at least not this time around now i don't regret my time having played it and i i wouldn't say oh god no no stay away from this game by, by all stretch but I, I would recommend potentially waiting for a remaster if you don't want to do that i would probably recommend 
and you guys can back me up on this if you want to, but I would probably recommend seeking out a GameCube copy rather than a Wii copy, even though the um, the controls are maybe a little bit awkward. It sounds like there's maybe um, more benefits than not. And also, I would recommend using a guide at least for the latter parts where you're kind of going on a, a scavenger hunt for the final series of keys. I, I I might even say just have one available to you for the whole thing. And, you know, if you don't want to use it, then you don't have to. But it, some things can be pretty obscure, and I, I don't think it's worth... I, unless it's something that you enjoy frustrating yourself by not being able to find the way that you're going for a little while. Wondering about lost. Listen, some yeah. people do, and that's fine. I know. Those Absolutely. freaks get their freak on, and I I don't they begrudge do them. them that. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, for, for me, I, I didn't think that this was an especially strong entry in the series. And if I play it again, it will be if a remaster comes out. Um, I, I would say go back to Metroid Prime 1 and play that remaster because it's really good. Uh, and, mm. you know, if, if you want to play 2, go for it. But I'm not I'm not comfortable giving it a wholehearted recommend at this point. Sure thing. Rich. Not not terribly dissimilar from me, to be honest with you. I mean, the the first question is like, how do you play Metroid Prime Two in twenty twenty three? Um, if you don't already own a copy, go for the GameCube version because it's still cheaper than the Metroid Prime Trilogy boxed version, which goes for a real song, like like a ridiculous yeah. sum of money. Yeah. Um, and I guess yeah. like the Wii U stores not supporting downloads at this point as well nope. so it's not like you can grab a digital no, no, version no. shop shut yeah it's all dead so um maybe don't do that um the the gamecube <laughs> version still perfectly playable it's absolutely fine wonderful um genuinely though like what do i feel about the game yeah it's a good game i mean there's some correspondence a little bit earlier on the show from ian ianson who talks about how he was reticent to return to the game lest it sully some of his memories and that kind of is me, to be honest with you. Um, prior to this recording, I would have swore to you that the, well, certainly prior to playing it in preparation for the recording, I would have swore to you that Metro Prime 2 is my favourite of the trilogy. And going back mm. and revisiting it, it's, um, it, it really isn't. Not- A lot of the actual <laughs> um, positive memories that I have real, I've realised came from Metroid Prime and I just sort of uh, superseded mm. uh, uh, the, the memories with the, the false ones. Um <laughs> Ultimately, you know, it's it's a little bit like Andrew Elmo was saying, like, I, I admire this game for what it is. I don't really enjoy playing it. I think it's missing some of the, the identity that the series has. I, I like the kind of, like, inspection of Samus and her relationship with the Metroids. I like the whole the the um relationship she has with the baby Metroid. The, the Super Metroid is a game that's, like, up there with one of my favourite games of all time. I, I think this game is you know, in in ice, it, so it take isolated aspects of it. It's really impressive, but when collided and clashed together, there's something that feels a little bit strange about it. And it's to do with the pacing. To me, it's to do with the fact that there's a lot of staccato beats that, in in isolation, feel really um, unique, um, feel really impressive for what they've accomplished. Feel like a great exhibition of what the what Retro Studios could have done with the game engine and, and the mechanics that are available to them that don't necessarily gel well as a whole package. I think it's very um, beholden to the idea 
which is probably preventing it from being a, a really enjoyable experience. You know, the, the execution of the light world and the dark world is, is wonderful, but it, it doesn't necessarily make it a fun game to play. And so, like, my abiding memory of this really is one of, like, you know, just because you can do something doesn't necessarily you should do it. Um, and actually, you know, it's just executed slightly more agreeably in, in Metro Prime 1 and Metro Prime 3, um, in my opinion, than it is here. So a bit of a mixed recommendation. It's not a terrible game, but it's not a great game either. Yeah, I'm sort of in, in a similar place overall, I suppose. I've been trying to decide where I land on it. I still feel like less warmly towards it than I do to the games either side of it um probably as I've, I've missed some of the metroid shows that we've done um i don't know that i'm actually like the biggest fan of the series i just really love metroid prime one um and this one yeah is like it it has some aspects that make you think that it was uh produced quite quickly I think if I had to choose which version to recommend, obviously, if I was betting without uh, pricing issues and uh, and availability, I mean, I, I'm now finding myself wondering, I wonder how much the standalone Japanese new play control Wii version is. Because um, I think there are personally reasons to recommend the Wii version. Obviously, if you don't get on with aiming a Wiimote and motion controls at all, then perhaps not, but it is widescreen. Plus, it's got a few... Uh, quality of life tweaks compared to the original GameCube version. So, but yes, also wait for the much rumored remaster. Um, yeah, it's a game that I think is kind of spiky by design in some ways. And I bounced off it as we've heard many people have done. Now I've played it properly. I'm really glad I did. Um, but it still feels spiky to me with some of the some of the sort of decisions as regards to just yeah the amount of damage certain enemies take and the the lack of signposting and yeah i certainly i would rather play a game like this without ever having recourse to look at a walkthrough or or anything like that but this game especially playing it up against a time limit which perhaps isn't the best way to play a game that's quite as demanding as this um it was really, it felt kind of mandatory at points. Um, but yeah, I would certainly play Metroid Prime 1 if you haven't. The remaster, especially, it looks great as well. Um, and then if you really, really enjoyed it, I would I would recommend checking this one out because it is at its core more of that. Um, but yeah, it's perhaps like, um, yeah, not not the one to play first, which is fair enough as it's a sequel. Let's wrap up with Brian. It's hard to say anything too different or disagree with anything that's been said by the three of you who, who went before. I think maybe I'm a little more fond of this game, just not for any particular reason of anything that it did differently or hit differently with me. It's just 3D Metroid games are rare, right? You know, like we're waiting for Metroid Prime 4 that was announced a few years ago and highly sought after for years and, and you're always wondering if there's going to be another one or what's the status of kind of the franchise and and playing through this game is it's like 
all the complaints that everybody had and, and, and all the problems that other people had, I, I also had, but I was also just kind of glad that it was still there for me to experience. And it's not to suggest that other people weren't happy that there was another Metroid Prime game to play. It's just they, there was something about the traveling back and forth between the dark and light worlds that really worked for me. Again, I, I wish that it was a little snappier, but it, using that as a puzzle-solving mechanic as through exploration I thought worked really well. Um the scavenger hunt at the end, which we talked about a lot, it, it annoyed me, but it didn't it didn't put me off completely. I, I I said I used a guide, but the idea of going back to other areas to scour them for things that I might have missed is those are my favorite parts of these games kind of in general. Um, so having that as a mechanic at the end didn't bother me as much as it gave me another opportunity to kind of see things through and maybe maybe mop up some stuff. Um, when I finished this game, I think my completion percentage was in the 60% or whatever it was and 17 hours or however many hours it was. And I didn't feel the pull immediately to go back to, to, to look through things. Um, it wasn't that Metroid game like, like dread again, it's not the dread show, but where I instantly felt a want to go back in and to, and to, to see some other parts of that game. But what this game did really make me excited for, I got really excited at the opportunity to play Metroid prime three again, and to kind of, see where maybe they develop for and where that goes. And, and this game, if it is going to be that dark middle chapter, that gritty middle chapter or whatever, I think it succeeds in, in more ways than it fails. And going back and putting another 20 ish hours into it, I was, I came out of the experience with maybe a little bit less of an opinion on the game as a whole, but more of a positive opinion on the prospects of a new Metroid Prime game coming out soon. Mm. And I think oh, that's yeah. <laughs> really, I think that that that's kind of like the most important part. Like this game f- has frustrations, has some limitations, has things that I do not like, but I got done playing this game wanting more Metroid Prime to play. So it's obviously succeeded in more ways than it failed for me. And it's one of those things that if a Metroid Prime 2 remastered drops on Switch in the next two weeks or whatever it is, um, yeah, I'll probably be there to play it. Maybe not day one, but I'll get to it eventually because it's I had a great time. Two and a half hours before we mentioned the vaporware that is Metroid <laughs> Prime 4. No, I'm sure it's really happening. Well, uh, there we go. Metroid Prime 2. Just remains for me, Leon, to thank Brian, Leah, and Rich. And I think it's only the right and proper thing to do to give uh, these guys an opportunity to plug their own podcasting endeavours, independent of us at Cane and Rinse. But if you enjoy what we do, but want something different with the same voices, uh, a lot less serious. Cane and Rinse has distanced themselves you, from us. <laughs> How dare you? That's the right decision. Yeah. yeah, no, I don't blame yeah. you. <laughs> that wasn't how you were supposed to take that, but I like that you did. Is somebody get a plug? Anyone in? want to yeah. plug? It? Oh yeah, no, it's uh, the the character issues podcast. We're <laughs> making a list of the greatest video game characters of all time. Um, the, our most recent episode as of this day of recording, Shrek. um, <laughs> we got Oops, to a hundred characters on the list, and we'd be thrilled if you came over and, and listened to us. Uh, we it really is just three people getting together and talking about games that we're playing uh, using lots of swear words um, and yeah. uh, writing a lot of fun. You're not safe for work. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a real lighthearted uh, show. We really enjoy making it. And if anybody wanted to listen to it, we'd be thrilled to have you. Lovely stuff. Uh, Editor Jay, thank you. Sorry, it's gone a bit long. That suddenly ran away from us towards the end there. Thank you to our correspondents. And of course, 
all of you for listening. Next time, in issue 593, been a few years, but it's time for Halo Infinite. <laughs>